Proverbs chapter 29, portion of this verse. Appreciate so much the y'all that work in the sound booth and work the computer. And, uh, you're such a blessing to the church. Appreciate the worship team for their giftedness. And for us that do not share those gifts, we appreciate it even more. Proverbs 29, verse 18, just a portion of this verse will do where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, just one verse of scripture. 1 Samuel 3, 1, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. We have 32,000 verses in the King James Version of the Bible. All of them are important. The Word of God is infallible, eternal, and inerrant. But I'm going to tell you right now, we need to hear from God. You may have it all memorized. You may be able to quote the Scripture from cover to cover, the Bible. But what we need right now is to hear a word from the Lord. God bless you. you may be seated. I want to, with God's help declare today that we are just a merely, a measly eight feet from a breakthrough. Eight feet's the length of a piece of plywood. Eight length, or eight feet is the length of a sheet of drywall. Just eight feet away from a breakthrough. The Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about when he said to us in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 that we walk by faith, not by sight. I'd like to clarify that a little bit uh, and tell you that there are basically three kinds of vision. There's vision that you see with your eyes, and I learned some years ago that even when our eyesight is 20-20, we only see 1% to 2% of our world at any given time. And I practiced that while we were sitting there while Brother Glenn was teaching. I looked at the guitar, a very small part of this entire sanctuary, and that's really the only thing I could focus on. Everything else we see peripherally. There's also the vision that we have or the things that we see with our understanding. An example, I went through algebra in high school. I didn't see a thing. I could not see a thing. No matter what they said, no matter what they put on the blackboard, I couldn't see it. I could see it with these eyes, but I could not see it with this. Thirdly, there's things that we see through faith. We can only see it through faith. It's not visually apparent to us by any other means. There are also three kinds of sight. There's insight, 
there's foresight and there's that decrepit hindsight that seems to plague us all the time. If we just had foresight at that time instead of hindsight now, we would have made a lot fewer mistakes than perhaps we have. Most of the time, perhaps all of the time, but I will, I will give us some leeway and say that most of the time what we see with our eyes contradicts what we see through faith. And it's at that time when we're seen with our eyes something different than we see with faith, it's decision time. It's time to make a choice. We're going to go with what we see this way or what we see this way. Sometimes it's hard to go with what we see through faith because it contradicts everything we know, everything we feel, everything that we have been taught, and everything that we are, the very fabric of our humanity. But in conjunction with sight, our Creator has given us five senses. Sight is one of those five. Then we have smell, which at times I wish my smell was not working as good as at other times. There's hearing, then there's taste, and there is touch. We learned that during COVID, some of us, that uh, a couple of those senses were turned off when we experienced COVID-19. But there is a sixth sense. And the sixth sense is what we call common sense. Now, everybody is, for the most part, is born with five senses. Seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, tasting, all that. But everybody is not given that sixth sense. If you have the sixth sense called common sense, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> the better question would be to your husband to raise for your wife and your wife to raise for your husband. Because we might get the truth that way. But perhaps any other way. Because we all think that our sense is common. But it's not all that common. We call from 1 Samuel chapter 3 and 1 out of the scripture. We used it in our textual verses. It speaks of the days of Eli, the high priest. And it says that the word of the Lord was precious in those days. But there was no open vision. In other words, even though the word of God was held in high esteem, it was contained within the scrolls upon which it had been written. There was no prophetic or there was no revelatory insight through which that word could be properly applied. Not just applied, but to their situation, to their circumstances, and to the particular time in which they lived. And, of course, this did not release them from their obligation to obey God's ceremonial law, uh, his judicial law, or his moral law. I think if we did more searching for God instead of searching for excuses, we would all perhaps be better off. But it simply means that no one was capable of explaining the Word of God. No one was able to apply, to rightly divide the Word of God and properly apply it to them, to the things that they were experiencing and to the things that were confronting the children of Israel at that time. So in the absence of prophetic insight, Eli allowed or permitted his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to corrupt the priesthood. He permitted them 
to do things that were very or highly inappropriate and were an open violation of the standards of God's word. But he was also derelict in other things as well. He was derelict in his other ceremonial duties because he let the light go out in the holy place, the light of the candelabrum that according to the word of God was to never go out but was to ever shine and it was his direct responsibility to see that that was carried out. So I believe that this, among other things, illustrates the express need for an open, revelatory, and prophetic vision in the days in which we live. If there's ever been a time when we need to rightly divide the Word of God, it is right now. In other words, this stresses the intrinsic need for strong, powerful, and anointed exegetical preaching. That's a big word for rightly dividing, basically explaining the Word of God. We need the Word of God broken down unto us so we can live according to the dictates of God's holy word. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 2, preach the word, the instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What do I preach? Paul preached the word. You might want to interject the story now and then, but Amen. What we need to hear is the Word of God. Amen. During the early 1800s, Americans consumed around five to six pounds of sugar annually. God help them. The latest statistics, latest statistics, Americans now consume between 150 to 170 pounds of sugar every year. Why is that important? Because the last thing we need are candy-coated, sugar-coated, watered-down messages. That's the last thing we need. When I'm on my deathbed and I need medicine, don't you bring me a spoonful of honey. I want something that's going to work. I want something that's going to bring my body back to health. Now, we may not always like it strong, but we need it strong. Praise God. Hebrews 5.14 says, Strong meat belongeth unto them that are of full age. I understand sometimes that uh, newborns need the milk of the word. But those that are full age need strong meat, even those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Getting the message? We need strong preaching. You kind of feel like I'm setting you up for something? I feel like you're being set up. Of the two doors in the back, one is wide open. There's the one open over there, and somebody will help you out if you need to go out this way. <laughs> Just leave those emergency exits closed because they're too hard to get back closed. <laughs> so we haven't opened them in who, who knows how long. It is written that Eli had lost his sight. Of course, it was a, a product of age. He had gotten older. 
which illustrates that when we lose sight of either natural or spiritual things, uh, we're going to let a lot of other things slip as well. A lot of things can and will go wrong in the absence of a vision. The proverb says where there's no vision, the people will perish. didn't say there's a danger of them perishing. doesn't say there's a chance that they might perish. doesn't say that the odds are high that they will perish. It is an affirmative. Where there is no vision, ladies and gentlemen, starting to feel my Holy Ghost now, where there's no vision, it is a certainty the people will perish. Not only will the visually impaired individual perish, not only will the person responsible for receiving a vision and guiding the flock perish, but the people of God will perish also. Somewhere it says the blind lead the blind, and they all fall in a ditch. So because of Eli's loss of vision, Hophni and Phinehas were killed in an ensuing battle with the Philistines. And the children of Israel lost of all things the ark of the covenant, the ark of God. Henceforth, what you do not see is perhaps just as important and sometimes more important than what you do see. What you do not see. What is it, God, that we're not getting? What is it, God, that we're not receiving? What is it, God, that we're not hearing? What is it, God, that we're not seeing right now? We rest on our laurels and all of the blessedness of our revelation, but God, our eyes are still open. We still need revelatory truth. We still need a word from God to show us the way. What is it, church, that we are not seeing? You're awful quiet on me. It's also important that you understand that what you see through the eyes of faith can only be attained through divine and supernatural assistance. Now, if I had enough faith and it was God's will, I would go down to the Cadillac dealership. And I would say to them, you show me your most well-equipped Escalade. I know I don't have the money, but I'm bringing, I'm bringing God with me. If it was God's will, I would do it. It's not God's will, sweetheart, so don't get excited. I'm not prophesying. We'll go to Walmart and buy you with a little models. You have to understand what you see through faith. You're not going to get there on your own means. You're not going to have enough money to buy that, to pay for that, to, to, to do that. I was thinking earlier about the building, between the property and the building. Twenty-five people bought a piece of property and built a building that was $450,000 that's paid off today. That didn't happen because we had the money. It didn't happen because we had the manpower. Four men built this church. It didn't happen because we had the means. It happened for one reason. We saw something through the lens of faith. Faith. 
can't see it with my understanding, didn't see it with my mind. It didn't work on our calculator. Things can only be attained through faith with divine assistance, with supernatural intervention. And this is what keeps a lot of people from advancing the kingdom of God because they insist on operating within the scope of their human strength, their human ability, their human bank account, their human thinking, their human reasoning, and they will never get any further than that. I said for years that I should not, I should not veer or deviate because of time, and I've already been given my notice today. But uh, we rejoice over the fact that Peter got out of the boat and walked on water, right? But at the same time, that same story, there was eleven men that went, "Man, I should have done that." Eleven men, man, I wish I would have been the one to do that. One man got to walk on water. Eleven men didn't. One man was willing to get out and give it a try. Eleven men said, I, I, I don't think so. I think I'll stay right here and be safe. If you want a miracle, there's no safety. You can't be safe and have a miracle. You can't be safe and have, have the intervention of God. You've got to get out there where, hey, if he don't do something, we're going to sink, and we're going to sink fast. So it keeps a lot of people back from receiving a greater anointing and entering into a greater dimension of God's power and demonstration because they say, I can't get away. I'm tethered to, to what is natural, what is normal. I, I, I thought about a message I preached. I thought it was a year or two ago about a message I entitled Stuck. So I went back and looked. It was five years ago that we preached about being stuck it was not that many minutes ago that we preached about breaking the chains of the ordinary. Break the chains of the ordinary. I'm tired of being anchored to the natural world. I'm ready for divine intervention. But before we move on, it's also important that you understand that what you lose to a lack of vision is irreplaceable. The king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great host to the city of Dothan to apprehend Elisha the prophet because he was, he was just ruining them. He knew everything, every move they made, every decision they made in secret. And so they, this great army was sent there to apprehend them, and so they compassed the city. And as soon as the prophet's servant, Elisha's servant, looked out from the wall, he freaked. Man, I mean, he lost it. We're all going to die. He cried out to Elisha, last my master, how, does, how shall we do? In other words, what in the world are we going to do now? <clears throat> Elisha, why did you put us in this predicament? Do you want to see the miraculous? Somebody's going to have to be sick. Somebody's going to have to die if we're going to raise the dead. You know what I prayed this morning? Never prayed this prayer in my life. I said, God, I want you to send the angel that you sent to get Peter out of prison to our church service this morning. I want that specific angel that broke his bonds and loosed him from his chains and caused those four quaternions of soldiers to fall asleep 
that angel that opened the prison doors and let him out of the prison and disappeared in the street. I want that angel right here because I want to break some things in that service and he knows how to do it. Second Kings 6.16 Elisha answers the servant, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. You know, there's a lot of dialogue in here that's not printed for us, such as when the servant said, what are you, out of your mind? No, he wasn't out of his mind, so how is it that Elisha could even make that kind of a statement? How could he be so calm in such a very serious uh, situation as this? The answer is quite simple. He could see something that nobody else could see. He was a man with a vision. And that's what's going to save the city of Dothan. A man with a vision is why the people will not perish. Because the prophet can see some things that nobody else can see. Why you're not breaking out in a sweat because I can see some things in the Holy Ghost that y'all can't see in the city of Dotham. Why are you not wringing your hands, dialing 911, slipping out the back door? Because I can see a host of angels that nobody else can see. Because when you have a vision, it means that you can see things in the spirit. Jesus said that the end time believers, he said when you see these things begin to come to pass, know that your redemption is nigh. So he said that we should not be afraid. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. He told us that 2,000 years ago before Russia invaded Ukraine before World War I and II, before the advent of nuclear weapons, he told us to not be afraid. My God. It's not a suggestion. It's not even a word of encouragement. It is a command from God to be not afraid. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. So it's imperative. That what you see with your natural eyes is canceled out by what you see through your faith. So in 2 Kings 6, 17, Elijah prays and says, Lord, open his eyes. I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses, chariots, and fire round about Elisha. Praise God. What happens next is very interesting. It's very unusual uh, as, it, as it occurs. And it directs us to where we need to go in the furtherance of this message. Elisha prays unto the Lord, and he asked the Lord, to smite the Syrian army with blindness. And, uh, of course, God did. I, I really don't think it was literal blindness. I don't think they were in sheer darkness. But it was a blindness that they could only see what God wanted them to see. All right? 
So he says to them, now that they're stricken with this blindness, this is not the way you're in the wrong place. Neither is this the city. Follow me, he said, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them down to the city of Samaria. They get down to the city of Samaria, Samaria, and the king freaks out. What did you bring him here for, Elijah? So he was ready to have all of these men executed. But the prophet convinced him to let him go, and the king consented. But then, then Hadad, their king, returned to the city of Samaria with a massive army, and he returned with a vengeance. With the full breadth of his massive and mighty army, he besieged or surrounded the city of Samaria. Then Hadad used a common military tactic in those days. They would surround the city. They'd not let anything in or out, no food, no water. And the people uh, would either starve to death or they would surrender uh, to this besieging army. Uh, didn't take long. We're not given a time period here, but probably several weeks before there was great famine within the city. Uh, the price of an ass's head was selling for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. In total desperation, the people of God began eating anything, whether it was considered unclean by the Mosaic law or not, henceforth the ass's head, and they were willing to pay exorbitant prices for it. Uh, they had even began to cannibalize one another and uh, kill and eat one another in order to survive. Do not underestimate what people will do when pushed to the brink of desperation. Desperation is a point we will rely upon and lean upon uh, a little bit later in the message. But as repulsive as this may be to our educated and academic senses, Keep in mind that they were also eating the dung of doves. More eloquently put, the poop of doves. Now, why doves? They were probably the only animals that were surviving because they could fly out of the city and they could fly back. And so it says here that the fourth part of a cab of doves' dung was being sold for five pieces of silver. So how much was that? What a, a cab is about a pint, and this was a quarter of a pint. So instead of going down to Stone Cold Creamery, picture yourself sitting down with a spoon and digging into a bowl of dove's dung. That's how bad it was in the city. So faith and spiritual insight at any given time are always important, but even more so in the crisis. When the conditions within the city were at their very worst, and with very little time until everyone in the city would be dead, Elisha saw something that nobody else could see. He had a vision of something that nobody else could see but him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he prophesied because of what God showed him. Second Kings 7 and 1, Hear ye the word of the Lord. 
Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And this is when our story takes a very unusual and unexpected turn. 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? Now, I know that you have heard message after message about these four leprous men that sat at the gate of Samaria, could not go in and could not go even away from the city. And they were starving to death. Why sit we here till we die? But I want to change the narrative this afternoon. It's barely afternoon. I want to change the narrative. Instead of why sit we here until we die, to why sit we here until they die. Somebody has got to see something in the spirit. Somebody has got to have a vision of what God wants to do among us and in our city. We know the fate of everyone in the city rested upon these four men. They didn't know that. We have that knowledge. We have that revelation. We have that understanding and that responsibility Sounds uniquely familiar. The responsibility of the city rests upon us. These four leprous men were socially, economically, culturally separated, even ostracized because of their disease. We are socially and culturally separated because of the call to holiness. They were not allowed to enter into the city, and even if they did, cannibalism, disease, uh, desperation, and even death awaited them. Furthermore, these four lepers had no particular credentials that would qualify them to do anything other than just sit there and die like everyone in the city. They were barely hanging on themselves. The idea of a rescue mission, the idea of revival under those conditions was unheard of. The idea of a breakthrough in those kind of a situations were unheard of. The idea that God could take us from where we are and to break through our city and to see hundreds of people saved, it's just as unheard of as what they were dealing with. It sounds just as crazy. We're backed up against the same wall the city is. We're paying the same price of gas they are. We're dealing with the same inflation they are. We're fighting against the same things in society and government and control that they are. What makes us think that we could do anything about it? These men possess no weapons that would enable them to storm the enemy's camp, and even if they had those weapons, it would have proved futile against such a massive force. What I'm talking about right now is a spirit that you have all been feeling. It's called the spirit of futility. 
It's an unclean spirit. It's a spirit of futility. It's a spirit that what's the difference? It's the spirit there isn't anything we can do. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the money. We don't have the means. We don't have whatever we need to break through into the culture of our city and see a great avalanche of apostolic revival. We are dealing right now, some of you, in your spirit, the spirit of futility. I challenge that spirit this morning. I challenge that unclean spirit right now in the name of Jesus. I defy you and I rebuke you and I command you to depart from apostolic praise, the members of our church. I command you out of this place in the name of Jesus. You have no part with us. You have no say here. You have no voice here. Because like these four lepers, we sit here convinced that there isn't anything we can do to change the outcome, to change the destiny of our city. Sin is rising. Homosexuality, transgenderism, ungodliness, riots to, for the right to kill the unborn. How can we possibly do anything? Let me tell you something. The spirit of futility is a lying spirit. It's a lying spirit. So we've accepted the lie that we're powerless. We've accepted the lie that we're impotent. We've accepted the lie that we can just barely deal with our own problems and, and our own things in life. And I'm not diminishing uh, that at all. How could we possibly uh, go against the powers of darkness in our city penetrate their front lines and lead captivity captive out of their addiction, out of their bondage, and out of their sin. How could we possibly be the people that could do that? Let me tell you how. Because God is our God. Little did these men know that God had a plan to save everyone in Samaria and that they were the main characters in God's plan to deliver their city from the darkness and from their dilemma. It should not surprise us that God has a plan. We'll be first to admit that God has a plan to bring apostolic revival to all of Lee County, but we'll shy away and we'll wilt when we're called upon to admit that we are supposed to be a strategic part of that plan. That God is calling us to be a strategic part of that plan. There are two kinds of lepers sitting at the gate of our city. There are two kinds of lepers, apostolic lepers, sitting at the gate of Lee County. They're the apostolic lepers who are so comfortable that they're unwilling to jeopardize their comfort jeopardize their jobs, jeopardize their income, jeopardize their lifestyle for the sake of apostolic revival. Then there are those apostolic lepers that are encumbered by other things that weigh them down and, and so prevent them from, from doing a great work for God. They're doing their best just to survive. Understanding 
the challenges that face us all, and they're only going to increase and intensify as we draw closer to the coming of the Lord. I wish that we would get to the place where we could say like them, why are we going to just sit here and enjoy our blessing, our building, our property until they die? These poor lepers were not in denial, not concerning the urgency of the hour. They knew it was serious. Time is running out for us and for those in the city, but we are not in denial either that we are drawing ever closer to the coming of the Lord. And I believe we're going to look back on a day when we had the money and we had the time and we had the liberty to do some things and we didn't do it. And wish we would have. But when we get there, God will be the same God that we're serving right now. In most biblical examples of great deliverance, there was always a leader that seemed to emerge. A leader in whom others would rally behind and follow into the fray, into the battle, into the unknown, into the darkness. But examining this particular event, it doesn't appear that a leader emerges among these four lepers. They simply said one to another, they simply looked at one another, and it, it kind of dawned on all of them at the same time. They, they just figured it out. Look, if we sit here, we're dead. So God's plan, this is very, very important. God's plan to defeat the Syrian army did not just include four lepers. It included four lepers who were in unanimous agreement in what they needed to do next. And they were all in one place, in one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Agreement. They were in unanimous agreement. As long as there is a speck of disagreement among us, it will bind us to the natural. It will tether us to the natural, the very thing we're trying to break free from. There are no heroes here except for Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There could not be even one dissenter in the bunch. Not one. Even if three of the four lepers were in agreement, God's plan would not work. And I think I know the reason why. We're familiar with God's formula, incredible formula, of victory. One shall put a thousand to flight. Now, you need to get that down right here because when the devil sends an emissary to attack you and there's only one, you need to laugh in their face. You've got to be joking me. 
you, you must be kidding me. If he sends 10, you're still laughing. If he sends 100, you're still laughing. You've got to be joking. You, don't, you haven't read the book, have you? In Jesus' name, I can put a 1,000 devils to flight right now. And if you will agree with me, we can put 10,000 devils to flight. And if one more person will agree, we can put 100,000 devils to flight. That's why we're always, we're, we're stressing the need for unity and agreement. So it turns out that chances are, according to this formula, that there was more than 100,000 men in the army of the Syrians. So God needed four lepers to put excess of 100,000 men, somewhere between 100,000 and a million men. I need all four of you guys on board. And so the decision was unanimous. The last time that I recall we had a completely unanimous vote here was when the church voted me in for pastor in there were two people that didn't vote. They abstained because he told me on the way out of that business meeting, I didn't have the heart to do this to you, brother. Seriously. Now, he's deceased now, but those of you that are here that know, brother, brother Sister Brown. God's looking for not anonymity, but unanimity. 100% agreement. But let's focus on these men for a moment because I'm quickly running out of time. It did not matter to God that these men were small in stature. It didn't matter to God that they were not six feet six. And even if they were, they'd been stricken with leprosy. Their bodies were being broken down every day a little bit more by this decrepit disease. It didn't matter to God that they were crippled could barely walk. didn't matter to God that they were disfigured. didn't matter to God that they were weak and, and barely able uh, to even get around. didn't matter to God that they'd never been trained in the art of war. You're not going to need that anyway. You're not going to need Kung Fu when you get to the Syrian camp. You're not going to need to know how to dodge arrows and, and spears when you get to the Syrian camp. So I really wonder right now if we're hearing what the Spirit of God is saying to us because we have all this fabricated in our mind what it's going to be like when we get into this place where we're going to need divine intervention. And we don't have an idea except for one thing. God's going to show up and take care of it. God's going to show up and take care of it. No power, no force, no spiritual entity in earth or in hell itself can stand against the divine principle of agreement. If you are in disagreement, you are of the devil. You're not of the Spirit of God. Go read the Proverbs, the seven things that God hates. They that sow discord against the brethren. 2 Kings 7 and 4, I'll just leave that. If we say, the lepers now, we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, we shall die there. 
If we sit still here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Forward or backward, it's the same answer. But there's a chance if we go forward that we will live. Maybe slim, but at least it's a sliver of hope. So they were in complete agreement. We established that. That if they stayed at the gate of Samaria, they would most certainly die. But if they went into the camp of the Syrians, they just might perchance have an opportunity to live. I can tell you without reservation this afternoon that a church that is not constantly moving toward and challenging that which is impossible will eventually die. Will die. It will die of starvation. It will die of a famine of God's word. It will die of stagnation. What they will end up calling great services will not really be as great as they used to be. And how do I know this? Bishop, how do you know this? Because where there's no vision, the people perish. It's already been stated. Where there's no vision. Blindborn may have sat by the road begging. He, he uh, would live by what passerbys would put in his little tin can. He couldn't see with his eyes, but he didn't need his eyes to know that there's, a, there's a, a bunch of people coming down the road where I sit, and Jesus is among the crowd. He knew he just had moments to act, and so he begins to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. By all indications, I, I cannot say for sure, but by all indications, I sense that if he had not cried out, Jesus would not have stopped. But he did cry out, and Jesus did stop, and so he caused Bartimaeus to be summoned and brought to him, and you know the rest of the story. But I said that to say this because while we sit on the sidelines, pondering our insufficiencies, while we take an inventory of the things we do not have, while we count all of the things and the reasons why we can't go forward, why we can't have a breakthrough, why we can't have revival, why we can't have a harvest, why we can't have signs and wonders. All the while we sit here declaring our own disabilities, God is trying to get our attention. Week in and week out, he visits our congregation, comes among us in prayer, and he's trying to tell us something that is most profound. When you move, I will move. When you move, I will move. When you get up, I will get up. When you go forward, I will be there to see you through. When you take a step, I will take a step. We all know the, the principle, draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. Well, I'm going to sit here. 
God not going to move toward you until you take a move toward God. That's the way this works. So when we step out toward that which is impossible, there's no way we can accomplish it. There's no way we can do it. There's no way we can see it through. I'm going to guarantee you something in the Holy Ghost right now. God will see to it that he's there to give us that breakthrough. I understand the stress. I understand it all, trying to build a building like this and going in debt with 25 people working a full-time job. Hey, I get it. We've been there. But I understand as we started moving, God started moving with us. Isn't this essentially... God told Moses when he appeared to him in the burning bush. God started talking to Moses about delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. I know it's not a part of the, the, the biblical context, but it could have happened. Moses could have said, Lord, give me a call when they get out, and I'll come and meet them. Give me a call when they break free from Pharaoh, and I'll, I'll come and see what I can do. Give me a yell when, when they cross the, the, the Red Sea and, and I'll sign up for duty. Mm -mm. It's the same story really over and over again in the Word of God. Call, God calls men and women to do things that are way beyond their ability, capacity, and, and, and they step out and we preach about their exploits to this day. I think it's time that we have some exploits of our own. So he tells Moses, way back on the backside of the desert, talking out of a burning bush, you go tell those people that I am, that I am has sent you, which is a powerful excerpt out of Jewish history. But what in the world does it have to do with us other than the fact that we have a revelation of the great I am? But folks, it has everything, everything to do with you and I because it is said that you are not mighty, but he says, I am. You are not strong, but I am. You are not able, but I am. You, you are not big, but I am. You are not a conqueror, but I am. You're not a work of miracles, but I am. We're in the presence of I am, not I can't. What did Moses say? You're the I am, I'm the I can't. Isn't that, isn't that right? You're the I am, I'm the I can't. The I can't need to start following and believing in the I am. The I can't needs to stand up and start following the I am into the unknown and into the impossible. Do I need to remind you that these four physically impaired men did not make any preparations for war, nor did they storm the Syrian camp. All they did, all they did, all they were able to do was get up. Just get up. I can't wield a shining sword. I can't step my spear into the dirt. I can't step my feet into the ground with determination. All they were able to do is get up. Ever so slowly, ever so awkwardly, walk toward 
an unknown and an uncertain future. I'd rather try and fail than to not try at all. I'm serious. I'd rather try and fail than to not try at all. We can sit here and do nothing until the end of time, turn the lights on and off and enjoy what God has blessed us with. But according, hear me now, according to the parabolic meaning of this biblical account, not only will the city perish, but we may perish as well. I know it's a heavy burden to bear knowing what's going to happen after the rapture of the church. The absolute destruction and demolition of mankind and of this earth. And we could just be virtually hours away from that. It's a heavy burden for the church to bear knowing that when we leave, everybody we know, everybody we love, everybody we care about that's not saved, what they're going to go through, and then even after they die, what what awaits them. It's a heavy burden to bear, but I'm going to tell you, I cannot sit here anymore and twiddle my thumbs and do nothing while they perish. Thank you, Brother Galan, for your vision of outreach. 2 Kings 7, verse 5, they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. When they come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. What a shock. Elisha wasn't surprised. For the Lord had made the hosts of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents, their horses, their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. So after weeks of untold suffering, after weeks of unimaginable death and suffering within the city of Samaria, who know, who could have known that the whole time they were just a measly eight feet from a breakthrough. Eight leprous feet away from a breakthrough. They didn't move until they got to the point where they knew if we don't do something now, we are all going to perish. I think, folks, that we need to acknowledge and we need to confess that we do not have a clue how God works. We, we calculate God the same way we calculate everything else in this natural world, and he works from a different set of values and a different set of principles than we do. And so we make a calculation and we come up with an answer that does not include God or the miraculous and we make the decision, I can't do anything about it. Thank you, Sister Fry, that was so incredible. 
video of the math thing, I mean, that was, that was so mind-boggling. And that was just the, just the tip of the iceberg of who our God is. Isaiah 52 and 7, speaking of feet, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. My God, my God. But I hope that you will know that as the feet of these four sick starving lepers shuffled along, they didn't hear it. They didn't hear what the Syrians heard, but the Lord woke the Syrians up and caused them, as they come out of their stupor and out of their slumber, to hear the noise of chariots, many chariots, and the noise of horses, with the soldiers stamping through the dirt on the way to their camp, even the noise of a great host. Praise God. And that's why I felt like going to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. Because we ultimately come to this place every time in a message such as this. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and we all come to the same place every single time, but I am not Gideon, but I am not Samson, but I am not David. I'm not Jephthah, I'm not Samuel. I'm not one of the prophets. I'm dealing with my own junk. I can barely deal with that. And so we're all quick to acknowledge who we're not in the word of God. But could this be the reason, at least one of the reasons, why God chose these four sick, crippled, lepers to bring deliverance to the city because if you can't do anything but barely walk that's all you need to do if all you can do is get up and barely move that's all you need to do you don't need any special gifts you don't need any special anointing all you need to do is get up and God will take care of the rest I've said for years, I'll say it again. David was so anointed, he could have slung that stone in the opposite direction of Goliath. He would have went around the earth, come back, and hit Goliath in the back of the head. So he used the lepers to prove to the weak and the feeble, to us, that if we will just dare agree, if we will get over ourselves and agree, I had a wonderful word from the Lord in prayer this week. Get over yourself. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't know I needed to, but thank you for that. 
used these four men to prove that all he needs are men and women of God that are tired of the status quo. Tired of three songs, a 40-minute message, a 10-minute altar call, and go home. Tired of empty altars or altars filled with the same people every week. Could he have chosen these four sick lepers to prove that all he needs are men and women of God who are tired of sitting on the sidelines, tired of walking and marching on a spiritual treadmill? I know there's a weariness among us, but you're weary because of the treadmill. I don't mind suffering a little bit, but praise God, let's see something come out of it. I don't mind going through a few trials and tribulations sometimes, but bless God, let us have a breakthrough. Let us, let us see some light at the end of our tunnel. Perhaps our eyes will be opened by an amazing aperture of Scripture that's found in Ezekiel chapter 22. Now I'm really, I'm really, I'm really feeling the Holy Ghost right now because uh, I'm speaking to some intercessors who have been interceding in the Spirit for years, not months, for years. I told my wife, and I didn't intend to tell you, but the church is in an ICU unit, and the nurses in the ICU are the intercessors. The only people keeping us alive right now are the intercessory prayer warriors. Shock? I hope so. And something happened in Ezekiel 22, verse 29, the people of the land have used oppression and exercise robbery, have vexed the poor and needy, yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Needless to say, the spiritual condition of the Israel people at that time was deplorable. But before we read the next verse, uh, I want to make it very clear to you that God was extremely angry with them. Modern Modern vernacular, God was ticked off. He was violently angry with them for their sins and grave judgment. Destruction had been pronounced upon the people and the land. But then we come to the next verse that makes this most astounding. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. He didn't say I need a great orator, a great prayer warrior, a great intercessor. I just need anybody that will stand in the gap and make up the hedge and plead with me so I will not destroy the people of God and the land wherein they dwell. I don't want to do it. 
I wish somebody would stop me. I wish somebody would plead for my mercy. I wish somebody would stand between me and the people and plead for them. But no one stood up. My God. My God. Because he could not find anybody. Because nobody was willing to pray. Verse 31 says, therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. As the worship team joins us on the platform, I can tell you, we've heard it said a million times, it's not God's will that any perish. It's not God's will that the Samaritans and everyone in that city perish. So God moved upon four crippled men to save them. He could have called an army down. He could have sent angels down. He could have sent a hail. He called on four crippled men. We are just eight feet from a breakthrough. Just eight feet. Maybe your feet are in those eight feet. I hope they are. Just eight feet. Away from a breakthrough of apostolic demonstration. Eight feet away from a breakthrough in apostolic revival. Eight feet away from miraculous signs and wonders. But we preach about a breakthrough and it's easy to talk about a breakthrough. Breakthroughs are never easy. They're never easy. Well, let's just sit here until they start driving into our parking lot and fill up our sanctuary. Not going to happen. Breakthroughs are very expensive. They will cost somebody blood, sweat, and tears. They will cost somebody their fortunes. Breakthroughs require a risk. Somebody's got to get out of the boat. Somebody's get out of the box. Somebody's got to get out of the comfort zone. Somebody has to be willing to take a risk. Breakthroughs are not easy. Breakthroughs demand sacrifice. I preached a message a number of years ago. I would rather be anointed. I appreciate God's blessing. I need God's blessing. But I'd rather be anointed because the anointing is what breaks the yoke. 
the yoke of sinners is not broken because we're blessed because of our checkbooks and our bank accounts. The yoke of the, of the broken will be broken because of our anointing. Breakthroughs are never found within the status quo, never found in zones of comfort and zones of convenience. What we know about the breakthrough that occurred in Samaria is that God used the steps of four lepers, four helpless, hopeless, ill-equipped men to cause a conquering force to get up in the middle of the night and flee, leaving everything behind for the taking. If you'd stand with me, I want to close with three steps that lead to a breakthrough. Three steps that lead to a breakthrough. The first step is desperation. God used abject desperation within these four men to cause them to get up and to begin walking into the unknown. He used the desperation of these four lepers to deliver an entire city. You may wonder why God allows faithful men and women, men and women such as ourselves to reach the precipice of desperation. <laughs> I can only tell you what I know. And what I know is that desperation is what moved Elijah to walk 40 straight days, enter into a cave, wrap his head in a mantle just to hear the still, small voice of God. I can only tell you that desperation is what caused Jacob to depart from his family in Canaan and it was desperation that caused him to return home again. I can only tell you it was desperation that caused Gideon to lead 300 men against an army of 150,000 strong. Desperation is what caused Israel to leave the land that God had given to Abraham and to go to Egypt in desperation is what caused them to depart from that land of Egypt and return to the land of promise. Desperation is what caused Esther to peer around that pillar and peek into the king's court, even though it could have meant her death. I don't know why it is 
is that we have to reach the point of desperation, but it seems as that is what always moves God's people into action. It's what moves the redeemed of God from the comforts of life into fields of battle where sacrifice and even potential death may be required. Desperation. Desperation is what caused Daniel to make the declaration, I'm not going to eat until I receive a word from God. I'm going to abstain, abstain from natural food until I receive a word from God. Throughout the Bible, over and over and over and over again, stories of men and women that were moved to perform incredible exploits because of desperation. An objective examination of the predicament of these four lepers led them to one simple conclusion. Either we get up or we die. I will defer to our historian. Was it Jonathan Payne that said, give me liberty? Is that who it was? Who was it? Jonathan Payne. Patrick Henry. Yeah, I knew it was a Henry somewhere. Give me liberty or give me death. Is there some way that you and I can bear our soul before God in this altar and say, God, give me revival. Give us a breakthrough or give us death. Give us a move of God, a visitation of God or give us death because if you don't we're going to die anyway my God my God my God would you please find a place to pray would you please find a place to humble yourself before the Lord for a few minutes of time would you please find a place and a way to bear your soul before the Lord our God and cry out to Him like never before. My God, my God, my God, my God, my God. When you're in desperation, it doesn't provide you with a lot of options didn't provide you with a lot of choices. It's not like going to Disney World and saying, well, what are we going to ride next? Generally, the options are very few. Sometimes there's only one. Jesus. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.